I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. C-13 Originals. I remember hearing about it, and it was absolutely gut-wrenching. I was at school at the time. We had very little information. We had no idea our involvement. But in that moment of despair, I said, I have to write something. I have to write something that's from my heart. I'm going to go home and sit at my kitchen table. And I don't want to process more than the feeling I'm having now. I kept saying, how did we get here? And how did we know? And why isn't this the surprise it should be to me? Why doesn't it shock me? So in the moment, I wrote this email to my school parents. And it says, Dear parents, Over the past 25 years, I have written many heartbreaking letters to my school communities about loss. And I have grappled mightily to find the words to comfort and bring solace to those in pain. I have found, however, that in the midst of grief, we often discover the best of who we are as we come together in support and care for one another. Yesterday, another type of loss rocked the independent school and college communities. It is the loss of dignity, humanity, and morality that has undermined what we stand for and what we hold dear. As we heard from nearly every national and local news source, parents with the financial means to do so and who valued admissions to an elite college more than the dignity of and faith in their own child conspired with an unscrupulous private counselor and several college coaches and test administrators to game a system that is already inherently unfair and unequal. What these entitled parents and the counselor are alleged to have done is a crime, and if true, should be punished. But that is only one component of this scandal and tragedy. There are so many gray areas in the high stakes of the college admissions process that this is, in some ways, the end result we knew was coming and probably deserve. No one was shocked, but we are all complicit. And it bears holding a mirror and gazing unflinchingly at our reflection. 
instead of her bubbling into the test, she'll write her answers on a separate sheet so that we can rebubble. It's the home run of home runs. And it works. <laughs> Every time. In episode one, you heard what $15,000 gets you. This episode, you'll hear what $500,000 gets you. I'm going to make him a kicker. <laughs> he does have really strong legs. It was driven by greed. It was driven by money. It's about privilege, white privilege. People are uncomfortable looking at that very truth. I'm Andrew Jenks. This is Gangster Capitalism, Season 1, The College Admissions Scandal. When your child has come, you will have to pay all. There ain't no doubt. Oh, your sins are going to find you It has become so transactional that why wouldn't it leap from what can you do for my child to get her in to, well, now I'm going to see if I can pay to get my child in. The voice you're hearing is Dr. Priscilla Sands. Dr. Sands is the head of one of the country's most elite independent schools, the Marlboro School for Girls, in the Hancock Park neighborhood of Los Angeles. When she wrote the email she read earlier to the parents of her students right after the story broke, Dr. Sands didn't know the entire scandal was uncovered because of one father named Maury Tobin, who'd sent his daughters to Marlboro. And so she found herself right at the center of both examining how it happened and how to move forward. You know, on some fundamental level, I'm not sure these parents, for the most part, thought that they were doing... I don't want to say anything wrong, but it's it's a slippery slope. We love them, but a lot of love means you set some hard boundaries, you give them independence, you don't try and micromanage. Who says Harvard's the right school for your child? And then if she doesn't get in, she's feeling loss and it is profound i have let my parents down i am not worthy i am not good enough when parents take control of this process they rob their child of being an independent adult and making her first big decision and being proud of it it's the bumper sticker mentality And it isn't one family. It's all the families who get caught up in their social group. I had a really nice dad tell me that once. He said, you know, I wish I didn't buy into it, but all of my friends are saying, well, do you have tutors? Do you have this? Do you have that? And who are you using? And he said, you just feel as though you're not doing the best for your child if you don't have all of this. Dr. Sands realizes that parents in her community use their children's colleges as a status symbol. And the crushing pressure that's put on their kids to perform can create a toxic environment. An environment that schools like hers have also created. And so I asked her what she thought of the idea that her school and even Dr. Sands herself are part of the problem. 
Um, I don't disagree. Am I part of a problem without question? It's on me most, but our education system is broken. Our kids are stressed out, they're not sleeping, they're working constantly, but nobody's stopping it. Nobody is turning out their children's lights. We're still giving homework. They're still aspirational. We still send so many kids to high-level schools, and how do we all get off of this? Because I'll tell you, on one hand, if you stop doing it, as the principal can tell you, then you have parents saying, I didn't choose this school for this. And I don't know the answer. We are certainly working hard to create for the girls while they're at school a sense of well-being. We have to create a program for kids where they're working at things that are of interest to them and they're willing to work hard and we have to look at the work we're giving them and saying, really, does anyone really need this for the rest of their lives? Am I part of the problem? Absolutely. Can I be part of a solution? I hope so. Hey, everybody. Um, today, I'm here with Michelle Roland, and we're sitting up here in one of the pavilions, enjoying a beautiful afternoon at Quintessa. And so, let's go and taste. Okay. No problem. This is a video of two men seated at a table overlooking the sprawling Quintessa vineyard with the foothills of Napa Valley in the distance on a perfect California day. They each have three wine glasses in front of them, and they're getting ready to do a tasting. What I've done is I've, I've taken here three wines from the 2011 vintage. Um, one of them, as you might imagine, is Quintessa. One of the men is named Augustine Huneus Jr. His family, well, his dad, owns the winery. Several, actually. And Huneus Jr. was one of the people indicted in the college admissions scheme for using Rick Singer to get his daughter into USC. Here's a reading of a conversation between he and Singer. The whole world is scamming the system, and I got him. Because I have a ton of kids who have extended time, and they shouldn't get extended time. I, no, I know you do. I, kn I know your system well. What my concern is, what I'm trying to understand, is that I, it feels like, you know, you, you have a plan for the system. So, you know, if you had wanted to, I mean, my daughter's score could have been a 1550, right? Huneus Jr. paid Singer 50 grand to cheat on his daughter's SAT. Singer's team got her a 1380, which is in the 96th percentile. But Huneus expected more, so Singer explains. No, because I would have got investigated for sure based on her grades. Okay. So Huneus changes the subject and asks about a friend of his, businessman Bill McGlashan, whose son goes to the same high school as Huneus's daughter and is also using Singer. Is Bill McGlashan doing any of this shit? Is he just talking a clean game with me and helping his kid or not? 
because he makes me feel guilty. Um, or are you just taking care of him in a way that he doesn't know because you have other interests with him? No, no, let me, not at all. Nothing to do with it. I, I will say this. But he didn't know. His kid had no idea, and he didn't have any idea, that you helped him on the ACT or the test you took. Because that was what he asked for. Bill McGlashan? Asked for his son not knowing. Okay. All right, so he's not been as forthcoming. With me? With you and with his own kid, which is, he wants it that way. Singer then calls Bill McGlashan. Your guy, Augustine. Huneus, yeah. He is pushing hard on trying to find out your guy's approach with your son. He came to me and I said I didn't, I was not willing to talk to him about it. He obviously wants to get your help, you know, with his daughter. And I just said, look, you got to make your own call what you want to do. I said, you just need to talk to Rick and work with Rick, not knowing, A, what you want to do with him, or B, not wanting Huneus to, frankly, be in our family business. So I did not. No, that's good. He was pushing hard. Like, you got to tell me what they're doing. And I said, listen, that's their situation. You know Bill's very connected. And you need to discuss it with Bill, not discuss it with me. Well, he tried that. He tried that. And and just so you know, he had a conversation with another family and sort of started talking about the side door approach you have and was sort of suggesting, do you think this is right? And I made the comment to him, you know, Huneus, you, you shouldn't be talking about that. You know, what Rick does is very specific to circumstances. And you think of it as he's the best coach you could ever have as a kid trying to figure out where to go to school because he helps kids get into the right school, et cetera, et cetera. But it just bothered me. He was out talking about it. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And that's what and that worries me, too. Yep. So I said, listen, you're in a very competitive environment. You got to keep what you do to yourself. Yep, yep. It'll blow up on you no matter who you think you know. It doesn't matter. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. I'm Emma. I'm Julie. And I'm Isabel. Together, we run Comments by Celebs on Instagram and host the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's creating hypothetical scenarios, dissecting the latest trends, or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We start the week with a full-blown pop culture breakdown, analyzing all of the biggest headlines. Next, we discuss all things Kardashians. Recapping current episodes or taking a trip down memory lane to relive some of their iconic moments from the past. And for our final episode of the week, we serve you a full Bravo breakdown. From recaps of Housewives, Vanderpump Rules, Summer House, and more, if it's going on in the Bravo world, we've got it covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. In episode one, we talked about Rick Singer's side door, which included cheating on the SAT and ACT. But getting a higher score on the entrance exams only increases your chances of acceptance so much. So Singer offered a second, more expensive and complex path 
through the side door. He could create fake athletic recruitment profiles for his clients' children and then pay off college coaches and administrators who would then falsely designate the applicant as a recruited athlete. And this option didn't just improve your chances, it was a guarantee. I just wanted you to walk me through the whole kind of water polo thing again and how it works. You and I did, you know, like the economics, the timing, how all that works. You and I had a brief conversation about it, but I wanted to kind of get it straight, if you don't mind. Okay, okay. So I'm putting together, I need to put together your daughter's sports profile. Yeah, yeah. It'll be a water polo profile now. I take her transcript, test scores, and profile to, to the senior women's athletic director, who actually is the liaison for all sports at USC. Football, everybody has to go through her. Okay. And then she, they have meetings every other Thursday, which are called subcommittee meetings, where the dean of admissions and two admissions staff and she are there, and they go through the athletes for that particular subcommittee meeting. It could be water polo this week, it could be football the next week, and it could be basketball. just depends on where they are in the seasons and what's going on. Okay. So what she does is she already works on presenting the kids before she gets to the meeting, so she knows everything about them. She knows why they want them. She knows where to slot them based on their GPA and test score. And be ready to answer questions if admissions has questions. Okay. Your daughter will get presented, and if they, in the subcommittee, if they say, okay, good, she's in. It's been nearly 30 years since Lori Loughlin made her debut in one of America's most beloved family sitcoms, Full House. And Full House fans know it's a role she's been reprising in Netflix reboot, Fuller House. By the way, she looks exactly the same. <laughs> very annoying. We can't stand it. By the way, look at you with your lovely daughter, Isabella. Isabella. Hi. How adorable. This is actor Lori Loughlin, appearing on The Today Show back in 2017. She's sitting with her oldest daughter, who at the time was an incoming freshman at the University of Southern California. And she's talking about how bittersweet it is to send her daughter off to college. I can't wait. Wait, yeah. Bella, are you going off to college and leaving your mom? <laughs> yes. <laughs> she's not going far. Not too far. But you know she's, she's not going too far, but my husband keeps saying, Lori, you're not going to see her, so just be prepared. That is true. By you the can... way, so many parents watching, I'm sure, are going through this, where they're about yeah. to watch a child go off to college. Kath, it happened yeah. to you. Yeah, um, it's hard. Are you preparing for it in any way? I or? think I'm in complete denial. Yeah. I really am, because when I think about it too much, it, it will make me cry. What she isn't talking about is how she and her husband, fashion designer Massimo Giannulli, used Rick Singer to get their daughter into USC. Here's how it happened. In April of 2016, Massimo, who goes by Moss, sends an email to Singer with his wife copied. It says, We just met with our older daughter's college counselor, the Sam. I'd like to maybe sit with you after your session with the girls, as I have some concerns and want to fully understand the game plan and make sure we have a roadmap for success as it relates to our daughter and getting her into a school other than ASU. Singer responds. If you want USC, I have the game plan ready to go into motion. The Giannullis agreed to use Singer's athletic recruitment scheme to get their oldest daughter into USC. For this, Singer uses Donna Heinell, the school's senior women's associate athletic director, to get their daughter into USC as part of the rowing team, even though she wasn't a rower, much less a competitive one. 
In September of 2016, per Singer's direction, Moss sends Singer a photo of his daughter on a rowing machine, which is then attached to her recruitment profile. And then Donna Heinell pushes her through the admissions process as a recruited Division I athlete. Shortly after that, Singer and Moss have this email exchange. Please send $50,000 payment to the person below, Donna Heinell, Senior Women's Associate Athletic Director, care of USC Athletics. Moss responds. I told biz manager to FedEx today. By the way, headed to Augusta in two weeks with the USC Athletic Director. I was planning on saying nothing. Agree? Best to keep the USC Athletic Director out of it. Shortly after that email exchange, Singer tells Moss that his daughter has been provisionally accepted to USC based upon, quote, records that indicate that you have the potential to make a significant contribution to the intercollegiate athletic program. And in March of 2017, she receives her formal acceptance letter. One week later, the Giannullis get their bill, $200,000. Attached to the invoice is a note which reads, thank you for your pledge to the Key Worldwide Foundation. Your pledge is now due. Moss responds that he'll take care of it when they get back from vacationing in the Bahamas. Then, after Moss pays, he gets a receipt falsely indicating that no goods or services were exchanged. A month after that, Moss copies his wife Lori on an email to Singer with the subject heading Trojan Happiness. He writes, I wanted to thank you again for your great work with our older daughter. She's very excited, and both Lori and I are very appreciative of your efforts and end result. Singer replies, With your younger daughter, please let me know if there is a similar need anywhere so we do not lose a spot. Massimo responds, Yes, our younger daughter as well. Then Lachlan adds, Yes, USC for our younger daughter. And finally, Singer writes back, So work to acquire USC. As soon as the semester is over, I will need a transcript and test scores. And so they do it all over again for their younger daughter. Both girls are accepted to USC as rowing team recruits. The grand total, $500,000. Drive! That's audio from a regatta, which is what rowing races are called. The shouting you hear is coming from Rasa Adahitis. Rasa is a coxswain. That's the person that sits in the front of the boat facing the rowers and shouts instructions to them. She's basically like the captain of the boat. And we are going on that podium, ladies. We take our seniors to nationals. Go for them now. Coxons use recordings like these as proof of their talent to help them get recruited by colleges. Lori Lachlan and Massimo Giannulli's daughters were both admitted to USC as coxons. 
There doesn't appear to be any audio recordings of them on a boat, but here's their youngest YouTube celebrity, Olivia Jade, discussing going to USC. So I'm, I don't know how much of school I'm going to attend, but I'm going to go in and talk to my deans and everyone and hope that I can try and balance it all. Um, but I do want the experience of like game days, partying. I don't really care about school, as you guys all know. <laughs> Olivia Jade got into USC disguised as a rower, and she took a spot from a lot of student athletes who really wanted it. To have a spot just kind of opened up and given away to a young woman who never even sat in a boat was extremely unfair and upsetting. That's Liz Greenberger. She's the founder of an outreach rowing program for girls in greater Los Angeles called Row LA. Immediately, I started to question, did the student who got in have voice recordings? because every recruiting coach is looking for coxswain voice recordings. Where were those? Were they ever asked for? Were they presented? Where were the race results that this particular, quote-unquote, coxswain raced in? What regattas was she in? What boat was she assigned to? Has no one ever called her coach? and asked, what kind of a person is she? What kind of a leader is she on your team? Can I work with her? And why that happened, how that happened, it was driven by greed. It was driven by money. Row LA's mission is to make the expensive sport of rowing more accessible to low-income and minority communities. The goal is to use rowing to help get these girls into college. One of our very first girls really knew that she wanted to row in college. She trained with us all through high school, and she didn't want to miss any practices. And one morning she called us and said, I'm going to be a little bit late to practice. I live in a pretty rough neighborhood, and my parents' car was shot up in a drive-by shooting last night but I'm getting on the bus, so I'm coming. I just wanted you to know that I'm going to be a little bit late. She's an amazing kid. She graduated from Connecticut College. She's now applying to medical schools, working while she's applying. Just an incredible young woman and the first in her family to go to college. It's all about opportunity. It's about improving the financial situation of their families. It's about opening doors beyond college. For a first-generation-to-college young woman, being the first in her family to go is an incredibly important opportunity and, in a way, burden for her to prove herself and to prove to her family that she can do this. They're rowing their way to college. And physically, the sport is incredibly demanding. Our girls come from 4.30 to 7 on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday afternoons, Saturday mornings from 7 a.m. to 10, and Sunday from 7 a.m. to 10. So it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of training. Here we are at Row LA telling our athletes who are working so hard that the process is fair. Trust us. 
and it wasn't. I've had the conversation with the girls about how unfair the system is. In the case of one of them, I was driving her home seven o'clock at night. Her mom could not pick her up. She's a tiny little African-American young woman in the ninth grade who has just started her coxing career. She is of great potential because she has a big booming voice for a 4'10 stature. And driving her home, she said, Liz, are you telling me that I could work all four years and that spot could go to somebody with a whole lot more money than my mom has? And I said, you got it. That's it. Rowing wasn't the only sport that Rick Singer used to get the children of his clients into college. At the top of this episode, you heard a portrayal of two of those clients, Augustine Huneus Jr. and Bill McGlashan. Their kids went to the same high school, and they both used Singer for the cheating scheme as well as the recruitment scheme. Huneus's daughter was admitted to USC as a water polo player, and McGlashan's son was to be a punter on the football team, even though their high school didn't even have a football team. Singer photoshopped McGlashan's son's face onto someone else's body, and for Huneus's daughter, well, he just used a picture of someone else entirely. For his services, each man agreed to pay Singer $250,000. Here's a conversation Bill McGlashan had with Singer. Rick. Hey, so you got an NFL punter, huh? You there, Rick? Yes. Oh, there you are. Perfect. Lost you. You got an NFL punter? I did. That's just totally hilarious. So they asked me, what sport can we put him through? And I said, well, I don't want, you know, because your school doesn't have football. It's easy. Because I can say, because they have all these kicking camps and these kickers always get picked up outside of the school. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. So I'm going to make him a kicker. <laughs> he does have really strong legs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this will be for, this will be good for one of the. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll become a kicker. You never know. Yeah, Absolutely. You could inspire him, Rick. You may actually turn him into something. I love it. I know. Well, I had a boy last year. I made him a long snapper. and I love it. He was 145 pounds, long snapper. So I love it. I love it. Bill McGlashan's son was to be a football recruit, a punter. But the overwhelming majority of Singer's other clients got admitted as recruits in less popular sports. Sports predominantly played by white student-athletes. And it's brought to light a question of race that is impossible to ignore. This is a black male issue. Period. Full stop. And for whatever reasons, people are uncomfortable looking at that very truth. This is journalist Kevin Blackstone. Kevin appears as a panelist on ESPN and as a columnist for The Washington Post and he often writes about the intersection of race and sports. When this whole scandal broke, the Don McPherson anecdote popped out of the back of my mind, and I had to call him to make sure that I remembered it correctly. So Don McPherson was a star quarterback for Syracuse in the early 1980s. He was really good. 
And I met him at some point after his career. He was also in the NFL for a short period. And uh, we were talking about his experiences at Syracuse and the black male athlete in general. And I remembered him telling me this story about how he used to walk around on campus with the Wall Street Journal tucked under his arm. And he did so, he told me, because he was tired of being looked at as unworthy for the college campus, as being there only as a football player and not part of the academic apparatus. And so I called him after the scandal broke because that story seemed to be parallel, in a sense, to the story of these well-connected, rich white families and their kids and how they disguised their actual unworthiness on campus. And so I called Don about his story, and he said, no, it was the New York Times (laughs) that I used to walk around on campus with tucked under my arm. And he also used to walk around uh, campus um, dressed in a business manner because he felt as if that would disguise him in some way on campus, make him look more as if he belonged. And so when you think about this scandal, he was really wearing the costume of these kids, right? He was adopting the fashion of white kids on campus who belong there. And these kids blend right in. These kids in the scandal, they blend right in. No one would have suspected that any of these kids were unworthy to be on that campus, primarily because they were white kids, and that's what makes up most of these campuses. But everyone would suspect the black male athlete. We have demonized the black male athlete on college campuses for 50 years. They don't belong there. They got in only because of their athleticism. They don't have the GPAs. They don't have the standardized test scores. They're taking up space. But you know what? That's fine because their space is in a gymnasium. Their space is at the football field house and their space is not in the classroom. But the, the really ugly thing about this is, is that even in that instance, the black male athlete is bringing something to the campus. He is at least bringing in revenue to the campus. So he has some worthiness. But the white kid in these scandals isn't bringing anything. They don't have the talent. They don't fit in academically. The only thing they're bringing, maybe down the line, is the fact that they will have created legacy and therefore be more likely to donate money to the alumni coffer. That's it. They're actually the ones who are undeniably unworthy to be on these college campuses, not the black male athlete. I mean, I think the race angle is overlooked in the entire college athletic industry. On college campuses, there are 
two sports, and it's not basketball and football. It's basketball and football and everything else. Basketball and football are known as revenue-generating sports, and every other sport, sailing, wrestling, rowing, softball, tennis, golf, those sports are known as expenditure sports because they cost the university money to run and they don't bring in any revenue. Well, who funds those sports or what funds those sports? The what is football and men's basketball. And the who are the black male athletes that predominate the rosters in football and basketball. Without them, you wouldn't have the excitement that attracts the television contracts and the advertisers and all of that that turns into revenue. And without that revenue, you wouldn't be able to have these other sports. Oh, they might exist, but the volleyball team would not be flying across country to play another volleyball team. Title IX would not look like it does today. So that's another insidious outgrowth of all of this, that the wealthy white families and well-connected white families involved in this college admission scandal were doing so from the largesse of black male labor that created these sports for their kids to gain entrance into these universities. And that has been completely, completely ignored uh, in this entire scandal. For most people, it isn't about race, right? For most people, it's about, it's about privilege. But what kind of privilege? And the privilege is white privilege. And while people are always, always so uncomfortable and always so unwilling in this country to talk about race and to ignore it, this is another example of how it is ignored. We see Felicity Huffman on TV. We see these other families. But what we don't see, who we don't see, are the people who created the opportunity for this system to be scandalized. Next time on Gangster Capitalism, we're going to take you inside the crime and how the case was built. We would like to hear from you, the listeners. If you know anyone who has cheated, has been accepted into college through illegal means, or has a story to tell about this scandal, please reach out to tips at gangstercapitalism.com. That's tips at gangstercapitalism.com. We can ensure anonymity. Gangster Capitalism is a production of C13 Originals. It's written and directed by me, Andrew Jenks, and Zach Levitt. Executive produced by me, Chris Corcoran, and Zach Levitt. Produced by Lloyd Lockridge, Perry Crowell, and Terrence Malingone. Editing by Perry Crowell and Zach Levitt. Mixing and mastering by Bill Schultz. Artwork and design is by Kurt Courtney. Original score is by Joel Goodman. And the theme song is Your Sins Will Find You Out by Eli Paperboy Reed. For more information, go to gangstercapitalism.com. 
and follow us on Instagram at Gangster Capitalism or on Twitter at Gangster Capital. You can always follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Andrew Jenks. Thanks for listening to episode two of Gangster Capitalism. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.